There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. Drive live. Talks legal. Our guest today is Ludmilla Yamalova from Yamalova and Plefka. Ludmilla, thank you very much for joining us today. How are you? Good to be here as always. Thank you. I know we say this every week, but it's super busy. So I'm going to get straight on with some questions. Now, Krishna contacted the show and has a question about tenancy contract, but someone else has also texted in. And I just want to ask you this one first. It says, is a clause in a tenancy contract that says 1,000 will be charged every week for delayed payment and tenant will bear legal fees in case of dispute enforceable. So basically they're asking, is that clause in the tenancy contract enforceable? Well, there are actually two clauses. Uh, with regards to the clause uh, regarding the 1,000 dirhams uh, for every week for delayed payment, it's enforceable because it's uh, ultimately contractually agreed. However, if the tenant wants to dispute that later on, um, you can file, uh, file a case with RDC and try to convince RDC that this uh, penalty, which otherwise could be considered as liquidated damages, is um, is overreaching, is disproportional. But other than that, because he's signed on to it, it is enforceable. With regards to the uh, the clause uh, transferring the uh, cost of the legal fees onto uh, the tenant, that is not enforceable because the UAE law does not allow for uh, for an imposition of legal fees or this attorney's fees um, on the parties. Each party bears its own attorney's fees, in short. Okay, and Krishna's contacted the show with another question about tenancy contracts. Uh, see, my question is like, uh, I have a tenancy contract with a, uh, it is getting over on 19th of November. I gave them a notice on 30th of October because I am being transferred to my head office in Sharjah. So my uh, landlord is saying that I have to pay for uh, two months uh, penalty, which I am uh, unable to accept. So what are the options I have right now? Uh, so this question refers to uh, early termination of a contract, and the Dubai rental laws d- does not include provision on how parties can uh, can exit the contract uh, early unless it's in the contract itself. However, interestingly enough, it's a timely question because just um, today there was an article in Amrad Al-Yom, which uh, in Arabic. Uh, with a statement from a judge from RDC, the Rental Dispute Committee, uh, who said that uh, although it's in the judge's discretion, but uh, judges will look at exceptional circumstances uh, uh, allowing tenants to exit a contract early, even if there is no provision uh, describing the process in the contract itself. And one of the exceptional circumstances uh, is um, when an empl- when an empl- or a tenant loses his or her employment, and the other one when they're being transferred to a different position, and third for corporate or uh, corporate leases is, for example, when the license is, is canceled. So in um, the listener's question, he's being transferred to a different position. So certainly under this judge's uh, latest statement, he would qualify as uh, for an exceptional circumstance, allowing him to terminate the contract early without any penalties. So in this instance, his, his best option is to go to the RDC, I suppose? Well, in if unless he can convince the landlord to settle this voluntarily, that will be his only option. Okay. All right, lots of questions to get through today, but if you do want to ask Ludmilla something, the usual numbers apply. 4001, you can tap in your phone and send your text and put your name on there so that we know how to address you. Plus, if you have the app, uh, you can use that. Text us for free or 423-1010 uh, if you want to call in directly. Here's another question for you, Ludmilla. We have a company in a free zone and would like to open a branch of it under the DED. Uh, what's the process and what activities uh, can we practice? That's all we've got for you to go on. 
Sure. So it is possible to set up a, a company under DD, which is the Department of Economic Development, outside of a free zone, uh, and for that company be set up as a branch of a free zone. So let's say you have a company in TCOM, and that TCOM company wants to set up uh, a branch uh, under DD. It is possible to do so even if it's just a TCOM company versus a foreign uh, foreign company. Now, in doing so, however, the branch, by very definition, must have identical activities, licensing activities, as the mother company. So let's say if the TCOM company is a restaurant, uh, then they can't set up a branch under DED that is owned by the TCOM company, but only for the activities that relate to a restaurant and nothing else. Would something like, um, I suppose, if say you have a, a restaurant, your main branch in uh, a TCOM registered area, and you move the branch outside, but you do, I don't know, deliveries from the, from the branch outside, how how does that work? Is it uh, still the same, obviously the same, uh, you know, general area? Great question. Yeah, so uh, the key here is that the branch company must do one of the activities that is encompassed in the mother company, but is not required to do all of the activities um, that the mother company does. So, for example, which you just said, deliveries, uh, it does not, the branch company does not need to have their restaurant and deliveries. It can just do one of those um, activities such as deliveries as long as deliveries are also covered under the original license. Okay. We have another business query here for you as well, Ludmilla. It says, I'm an expat and would like to set up a company in the mainland without a local sponsor. Is that possible? Uh, unlike popular belief, actually, it is possible. Uh, it's uh, it is not true that the only that there is no way for um, for an expat to set up a company uh, outside of a free zone without requiring a local sponsor. It's possible to do it under what's called the sole establishment or a sole proprietorship. So let's say Tim or wanted to open a restaurant under DED. Uh, it is possible for him to do so in his sole capacity without bringing in a local sponsor. So that would be a sole establishment owned by Tim uh, in his own capacity. However, he would requ- he would be required to have what's called a local agent who is an Emirati national, but it's just an agent. It's not a manager and uh, he's not. he doesn't have shares in the company. He's just uh, uh, there for the purposes of basically uh, for the for the authorities to identify how to find um, um, Tim's company if Tim r- runs away. Uh, so it is possible to do that. However, the one big difference between a sole establishment and what's usually uh, called the limited liability companies or LLCs is that sole establishment does not have limited liability. So in other words, if I sue Tim uh, and his sole establishment, then I will be able to reach his personal assets. Um, he's not limited by the uh, initial capital of his company. Okay, you don't know me well enough because I, I would never ever run away from a restaurant. <laughs> I'm just wondering what kind of restaurant would I open. Sorry, it flipped through my brain there. I think you, what need, would a, you, open? I think you need a coffee shop with records in it. Yeah, probably. What would you open, Ludmilla? If you're going to open a restaurant, what would be your restaurant? Sushi. Really? Sushi. Good yeah. choice. Yeah, but right but just on that, so it would work if Tim or I wanted to open a restaurant. Imagine it was um, a hairdresser's or a beauty salon. Is the same rule applying in all trades or is it only certain specific fields? Uh, g- great follow-up questions. It applies for, there are exceptions. So trading is not allowed. So if you do, if you want to do trading, then you have required to have an LLC, a limited liability company, and therefore a local sponsor. But professional services, you can. So hair salon, uh, uh, consultancies, uh, restaurants, then you d- you can't set up as sole establishments. And obviously there are certain restrictions in terms of industries. For example, if you want to do recruitment activities, um, there are restrictions on who can own such companies or real estate brokerage companies, for example. But uh, aside from those exceptions, you can't set up as a sole establishment. Tim, the coffee shop dream is not over yet, then. Oh, no, it's not dead, is it? You never know. One day I'll get there. My single-origin coffees will be much sought after. They'll be in demand. 
Drive Live Talks Legal. Our guest today is Ludmilla Yamalova from Yamalova and Plethka. We're trying to get through as many of your questions as possible. Ludmilla, if I can kick off with one about um, contracts. It says, what is included in calculation of end of service benefit? Is it based on basic salary or full package? And also, is a bonus included in this calculation? Uh, this relates to employment uh, or end of employment, termination of employment. Um, in relevant terms, at the end of the employment, there are several elements that are included in what's called the employment uh, termination benefits. Uh, one is the end of service benefits, which is the UAE equivalent of pension, and I can come back to it later. The other one is the notice, um, and that is sometimes an employee is asked to either serve the notice if the company does not want for the employer to serve that notice, they would have to pay the value of the notice. And the notice is a minimum of of one month, uh, or it could be whatever is contractually agreed on. Sometimes we've seen up to six months. Uh, then there's also an element that's called the arbitrary dismissal, which is up to three months of full salary, and that's for uh, termination uh, for no valid reason or otherwise known as arbitrary termination. And then there is um, un- unpaid or untaken vacation. That's another element. And then the pro rata of bonus and pro rata or any earned commission that um, has not yet been paid. And then ticket uh, to the home uh, home country if um, the person le- is leaving the country. And finally, if it's agreed contractually, there, there could be relocation expenses. Now, that's uh, kind of, I ran quickly through the list. In terms of how you calculate each one of these, it depends. Uh, but with regards to, for example, notice and arbitrary dismissal, it's calculated on the full salary. And the full salary here is used basically whatever it is that uh, an employee would have been receiving over the course of their employment, more or less on average um, uh, on a monthly basis, which would also include, for example, uh, a monthly or, or average of a bonus, commission, uh, and uh, the monthly salary. And uh, with regards to the end of service benefits, that's calculated um, on the basis of the duration of employees' uh, uh, time with the company, and it's usually about 21 days of basic salary for every year of service for the first five years, and after that, it's 30 days. Uh, however, in terms of the definition of basic salary, uh, uh, courts include the bonuses and commissions uh, into the average monthly salary, or and therefore definition of basic salary. And with regards to tickets, uh, you, it's it's either contractual or um, or it's the value of um, the ticket to uh, the person's home jurisdiction and relocation, depending on how that's drafted in the contract. Uh, so that's I know it's kind of a very quick <laughs> rundown through the list, uh, but um, but generally speaking, it's it's a lot more than what people most of the times think. It's end of service benefits being one element. It's actually each one of these elements is a separate element uh, to be included in the. Um, um, sort of in the calculation at the end of employment. Okay, well, in this case, I mean, this is specifically about bonuses, isn't it, here? What if you leave six months into the financial year and you're fortunate enough to work for a company who offer a bonus on the basis of performance in the previous financial year? How can you then pro rata a bonus which depends on performance over the basis of 12 months? Sure. <clears throat> Bonuses and commissions is a bit of a, a hot topic, if you will. Uh, there are, if, if a bonus has been regularly received uh, over the course of, the, of employment, uh, then the courts would usually uh, would um, would order the company to pay the pro rata of uh, that average bonus. And that's how the law is drafted, and that's how the courts refer to it as average bonus. So let's say over the last five years, Tim, you've been receiving 
50,000 dirhams a year. Uh, in, indeed. Yeah, I know it's a hypothetical, but uh, so so that basically and you leave a half year, halfway through the year, then you'd be entitled to the prorata of, of that average, which would be about 25,000. And this, by the way, is irrespective of what um, what's mentioned in the either employment agreement or any other employment related agreements. And there are a lot of um, documents, internal documents that often limit the payment of bonus to, for example, employee serving the end of the year. Uh, but these uh, these un- undertakings or these uh, agreements will not be enforced in court because the courts will always u- look at the actual uh, take home, if you will. Uh, however, this uh, remember this is limited to two regular bonuses. If a bonus was every uh, was irregular, then they will be excluded. And with commissions, by the way, it has to be earned. So if you've earned, even if there's an undertaking that says, well, you have to actually be here through the end of the year in order for us to pay you the commission. But if actually if, if you have earned that commission because of your performance, then it has to be paid when you leave the company. Okay. okay. If we can stay with employment, Rajesh has called. He's leaving. He's resigning from his job. Hopefully he'll be able to ask you his question now. Uh, yes, uh, Ludmila, my name is Rajesh. I'm resigned from a company, but I'm also the member of the board in a couple of uh, companies overseas. So how do I ensure that the company takes me off from those other companies? And uh, secondly, would it be a good idea to directly intimate the regulators in those countries? Uh, great question, Justin. It can be very complicated because it much depends on the laws of each one of those countries on in, in where you sit on the board. Uh, so also resigning from the company, that's just going to start with the UAE. So if you're on the board um, in the UAE, just resigning from the board does not necessarily remove you from the board. You need to make sure you have some sort of an uh, understanding from the company, from the relevant signatories of the company, let's say the board, that says, yes, you have now been um, removed from the board. And usually if there's a properly constituted board, they'll also it will be... Uh, it will be registered with the relevant authorities, and therefore you would need to, all of you, the board members, would need to go to the authority to amend uh, the corporate documents reflecting that you are no longer on the board. So remember, just having a resignation letter in of itself will not act to remove you from the board if that board is properly constituted and registered with the authorities. Uh, with regards to other jurisdictions, it's sort of a similar, well, it depends, but in some jurisdictions, again, they, they, um, the laws require for parties to have more formal process uh, for board members to be removed and uh, resignation of itself is not sufficient. However, so that's why it's, you, it's, it's wise or uh, advisable to seek advice in each one of those jurisdictions because I'll, say, I'll tell you in the U.S. it's a lot easier and a lot of ju- in other jurisdictions you, just the resignation of itself will mean that you will automatically been removed from, um, from all other positions. But I will give you a, share, a specific example. We have a company right now in the U.S. where it's the opposite is true. Uh, a person was removed from the board and from the company on the U.S. and they just the the company in the U.S. assumed that all that was going to be equally reflected in the corporate setup in the UAE, and that is not so because here you actually need to make concerted efforts to go and amend uh, corporate records with the relevant authorities. Hope that answered the question for you, Rajesh. Yeah, uh, just one more thing. Uh, one of the countries is UK. So how does it stand in the UK? Again, it depends on where in the UK you're, you're registered. Uh, I highly recommend because being a board member can um, can um, be a, quite a complex matter. I highly recommend that you seek advice of uh, of the of if the relevant uh, laws in that particular jurisdiction because the UK in of itself may have different um, different laws depending on where the company is set up. If you have a question like Rajesh, call us 423-1010 or, or text 4001 or via the free messaging app. We will be looking at uh, residential and 
commercial um, questions when we get back. It's Drive Live Talks Legal. Our guest today is Ludmila Yamalova, and we have lots to get through. Now, Tim, you promised us that you had the longest possible meandering question. So, off well, you go. There may be a little bit less of the meandering, but this is a, there's something of a story to this, Ludmila. Let me put this to you, and it is um, a, a rental uh, dispute. My landlord held checks for a full year's rent. We ended the contract early. A penalty clause, we've accepted the penalty clause, that's fine. However, the landlord's agent says my cheques have bounced, although I've told them the bank keeps returning my cheques because my signature, and I feel his pain or her pain with this, my signature's come back a few times. It's happened a few times over the last few years. I've lived where I used to live for 10 years, Okay, Sometimes this has happened, Uh, so that's on record. I've never not paid the rent. No cheques ever been returned for lack of funds. It's always been a signature issue, Uh, and then I've just paid, uh, transferred the money. I've said to the agent, return the cheques to me uh, as they're due and I'll transfer the money on the due date if they don't want to go through presenting the cheque and payment being delayed. They didn't do that. They presented the cheques. They were then returned. I'd written to the bank to see about this. Nothing came back from the bank. Anyway, that's the history of this. Now that we've left the villa, they say that the return cheques mean they're due a fee. 10% of the value which they want back and they've not yet returned my final cheque which is the final three months of the contract they left the contract early the fees uh, which apply are for early termination and two returned cheques it amounts to more than the security deposit which I think is 10,000 dirhams so they seem to think they have the right to not return the final rent cheques I've advised them I would be happy to present the same argument to the rental tribunal should they wish to follow that route but I've asked that they consider the above and agree to deduct the early termination fee and hand over the remaining deposit and the cheque are you still with me? Can you start from the beginning? (laughs) (laughs) I had a feeling. Uh, But you can see where this is going. With really, this person... Is there a punchline? Here you go. Here is the payoff. Can you advise on the matters of applying fees for bad signature returns when it seems it's outside of anyone's control? Is uh, is there a suitable alternative that I can come to? I'm also concerned that they'll choose some point, uh, at some point, that they will uh, then present the final cheque. And I just want this cheque back. for the final three months of the rent. What's the the legal situation here of this previous tenant? One more thing, I have the exit report for the villa. All is good and uh, a date of departure has now passed, so everything there has been fine. There is just this one legal area hanging. One certainly. Well, a number of uh, there are a number of things. There's it's low low lying fruit here. I think. Yeah, it'll be difficult to answer this in short because yeah. there's so many elements to it. Uh, but with regards to the bad signature, let's start to compartmentalize it. So, right. with regards to the bad signature or in the return of the check because of the issue with the signature, it, this it's contractual. So often, if there's anything in the lease agreement that um, that allows the t- the landlord to take a percentage or some sort of a penalty for every return check, then that would be your source. Right. Um, of penalty uh, and for, for that particular incident. Now, if there isn't anything in the lease, then there is no con- no legal basis for them to claim uh, penalty for this. Um, that's one. Two, even if there is a clause in the agreement that provides for some sort of penalty for return check, um, read to see if, in fact, uh, that uh, clause would include return, return check for reason of um, bad signature, because most of the times those clauses are referred more for purposes of a bounce check when there are no there are insufficient funds in the account um, so the source of the agreement uh, the source of, of this particular issue would be the agreement itself 
Now, with regards to the final check uh, or the return of the final check, well, that sounds like that's basically a deposit and much depends. I'm not quite sure, to be honest with you, why it's so complicated based on what the at least the beginning of the question uh, said, and that was um, that there was an agreement about the early termination and the penalty, and um, so there was an agreement of the mind. So I, I'm not quite sure why now there is a disagreement about uh, the uh, the final pay or the penalty for um, for early termination, but if it all relates to the bounce check or the to the uh, not the bounce check but uh, the return checks, my my recommendation is that you um, ask for the return of all, the, all those checks simultaneously with providing the agent or the landlord, whoever the authorized uh, representative is, uh, in exchange for a payment in cash, uh, for example. So let's okay. say they you have a meeting with uh, the landlord or the landlord's representative they bring all the checks that are outstanding and you bring them cash and then um, you kind of do it simultaneously. That's probably the best way to resolve this. Okay, that is uh, Stephen, your answer, I hope. That's all we've got time for today uh, on Drive Life Talks Legal. Questions in, we will hold over till next week. There are loads and loads to get to, but as we always say, try and get your questions in as early as possible. 4001, the free app, or 423-1010. As always, Ludmilla Yamalova from Yamalova and Plethka. I sprung that on you at the end, and I apologise, but it's uh, one of those intricate questions. Thank you for coming. Always a pleasure. There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com.